Hello, my name is Sharon Randall, and I'm a member of the Cory Lane Tribe of Indians, which is located in, um, Cor- in Idaho. And um, I'm here to acknowledge that we are on Spokane Tribal Land. So they actually currently reside on the Welpinit. The reservation is in Welpinit because this used to be all their land before it was forced, forcibly removed from them, and they were put onto the reservation was in Welpinit. So we do want to acknowledge and respect that this is their sacred land. And I am an, a direct descendant of the last chief of the Cory Lane Tribe, which is Chief Peter Moctomy. And the reason I'm a direct descendant is because my grandmother is actually Marie Moctomy. So um, I just want you guys to welcome you guys and acknowledge that my ancestors were here hundreds of generations before here, and they have always been here. And they would like to, we'd like to welcome you on behalf of them and the Spokane tribe to this land. Thank you. The uh, Spokane Coalition of Color was founded by the Asian and Pacific Islander Coalition, or APIC the Spokane Chapter, and the Spokane Branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, and the Hispanic Business Professional Association, or HBPA. Our mission statement is, SCOC builds stronger, healthier, more equitable communities by valuing all ethnicities through the spirit of friendship. We are grateful to the East Central Community Center for hosting this candidate forum, and we welcome all of the candidates that are joining us here today. These are the candidates for the Spokane School Board. Later on, we'll have uh, the the mayoral candidates. They will soon be answering questions posed by moderators from our Spokane Coalition of Color, as well as questions from the audience. We hope that once we are finished, you will feel that you have a better understanding of where each candidate stands in relation to the issues that are of importance to our community, especially the people of color in our community. I'm going to now introduce our moderators. On the end, we have Sharon Randall, who is the first vice president of the Spokane branch of the NAACP. We have Nagmana Shirazi in the middle, representing APIC of Spokane. And here next to me is Fernanda Mascot from the uh, HBPA. So these are the format and ground rules. In our forum, as I said before, we'll have two parts. The first part will last until 11.30 a.m. and provides us with an opportunity, opportunity to learn about the candidates running for Spokane School Board. Each candidate will have three minutes to introduce themselves and to make their opening statements. Following the opening statements, each, each candidate will be asked the same three questions, and each one will have one minute to answer. Then we will take questions from the audience. Each candidate will have one minute to answer each question from the audience. And I believe we have uh, cards over here where if, you, if you're an audience member and you have a question, please get up and fill out a card with that question, and then we will address it so we don't have a duplication of questions. Nicole Rosencrantz in the front row over here is our timekeeper. She will raise a yellow card when candidates have 30 seconds left, and she will blow her whistle when the time is up. (laughs) The second part of the forum, which starts at 11.30 a.m., will focus on the, the mayoral race. For the sake of time, we ask the audience to go to the questions table where we have volunteers who can help write down your questions on index cards. Our volunteers 
We'll then hand the questions to the moderators. Please know that we value your questions, but given our time constraint, we will be uh, theming the questions. After the last question from the audience, each candidate will be permitted to make a two-minute closing statement. You have a very tight schedule, so please be mindful of the time allotted for each section. We encourage civic, civic engagement and dialogue between people with different points of view. Please be respectful of each other. Audience members who exhibit unruly behavior will be asked to leave. We want to start by reviewing the role of school board candidates. Uh, er, excuse me. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I'm off. <laughs> So, like you said, we would like to start by reviewing the roles of the school board. Candidates should already be on the stage. They're right here. <laughs> the board of directors of the Spokane Public Schools have five publicly elected members. School board members represent the community in setting policies and directing school programs. School board members serve in st staggered six-year terms. So we want to introduce the school board candidates. So for position one, we have Nikki Lockwood and Katie Trillor. For position two, we have Kelly McFarlane and Jenny Slagle. And for position four, we have Erin Georgian and Kevin Morrison. We want to remind the audience that each candidate has three minutes to introduce themselves and provide an opening statement. For the opening statement, we would like the candidates to respond to the question what experience do you bring that makes you the better candidate? We will start with candidates for position four, which will be Erin Georgian. Position two, which will be, Ke sorry, Erin Georgian, and then we'll go to Kevin, and then we'll take it from there. Good. I'm loud, but not quite that loud. Uh, my name is Erin Georgian, and I am a longtime resident of Spokane. Um, part of what I think makes me a unique candidate for school board is that I uh, grew up in a struggling working family in this community, and I myself in a, am a struggling working parent. Um, I have a daughter that's part of the public school system, and I look around my community and I realize that the experience that... Um, of working parents is often missed on our school board. For decades, it, it hasn't had an active member that was someone who struggled, went through periods of time of poverty in their life, knew what it was like to raise a single child. 30% of Spokane County, of the Spokane City, um, it, families are single parents, and I know exactly what it what they lean on the school system for, and it's a lot more than education and keeping our schools uh, our students safe during the day. They lean on them for the field, free meal programs in the more uh, in the summers, after school programs to help them get through their work day, um, good transportation services that get their students home on time instead of an hour late. Um, these are all really important things. Um, that I think that we need a voice for working families on the school board. Yes, with position four, a second person who's uh, the candidate is Mr. Kevin Morrison. Good morning, and thank you all for being here, and thank you uh, to the host uh, agency for bringing us as well. My name is Kevin Morrison. <coughs> I am a Spokane, second generation Spokaneite. My father grew up 
not that far from here, just behind Sonneberg Market, and graduated from Lewis and Clark, and my uh, mother grew up about three blocks from Rogers High School. And uh, what they taught us growing up as a working family um, and uh, was that the great equalizer in our system is public education. And it's a great ideal that it's an equalizer, but I think that the reality is that um, we're doing better. We're definitely doing better as an equalizer than when I went to Spokane Public Schools. And uh, when I started working for the school uh, district, I started 16 years ago. And since uh, I started working, I went as six of those years were spent in a directorship that was had um, budget uh, authority, um, decision-making, was a member of the superintendent's cabinet during that time. And I have a real working knowledge of what it takes to move the dial like we need to move it to help with that equalizer to bring it to people of, uh, of all families. Um, I realize that it's not all families are getting the same opportunities. I think the district has been working hard, especially the last three or four years on that, and I think graduation rates, test scores, and I think that now that we're finally capturing the data much more accurately than ever before, I think that we are starting to see the dial move in the right direction for all families, be it uh, whatever uh, you come from. Um, as I say, I've, I've grown up in Spokane. Um, I've seen a lot of change, and I realize that change is never fast enough for anyone. But I have seen a lot of change, and what I want to do with my experience is move the needle, keep moving the needle in the right direction. And I think the right direction is going to be to offer those opportunities for students who are struggling, offer those resources to those families, and keep providing the services that we know that we all need, uh, whatever that be, may be. And uh, I ask for your vote moving forward. And for position two, we'll now go to Kelly McFarlane. Thank you so much for having me here this morning. My name is Kelly McFarlane, and I'm running for seat two of the District 81 School Board. I have a, a big history. I think that part of my life has probably touched on pretty much everything you'll hear from every other candidate today. But I grew up an Air Force brat. I married an Air Force officer, moved around with him. I have been a teacher since 2005. And with moving around, there have been a variety of different public districts that I've been in. And with each different public district that you're in changes the culture and community that you're in. So I've had a wide variety of, of experiences with, with children in the United States. Um, I would like to bring to our school uh, district especially Safety. I, wa I want to look at our safety and security and really make a change for what is, what is suggested to our district and really look at that. I would also like to bring common sense to our budget, make forward thought decisions that do not get us stuck in predicaments like we're in today. And I'd like to bring back education to the schools for all, with responsibility, accountability, respect, 
This should be a common thing in our society. And once we get this back in our schools, it will spread. Our children will be better prepared for the next step. And since um, we chose to be here, I mean, I was here in, from 1975 to 1981 as a child, but as an adult, um, my dad retired out of Fairchild. I've been coming back and forth for the last 25 years. But when my husband retired, we chose to come to Spokane. He didn't retire out of Fairchild. He retired out of New Mexico. We chose to be here. This is the community we want to be in. This is the community where I want to make a difference. And we need to start with the children. Thank you. Position to um, Jenny Slagle. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Jenny Slagle. I am an enrolled member of the Yakima Nation. I uh, am a descendant of the Northern Arapaho tribe. I've lived here in Spokane for almost 20 years. We raised our four children here all through the school district. Uh, they all uh, graduated from high school and now are young adults out in um, our community here in Spokane. Um, I have been um, active in our school systems, uh, our school system in each of the schools uh, that uh, my children attended. I have seen firsthand how uh, children can be supported and be successful in our schools. And I've also seen it uh, where we could do better. Um, and that's really where um, my desire to step into this role really began. Um, I'm on the Diversity Advisory Council. I've been, this is going into uh, the fourth year uh, this year. I chaired it in 2016 and 2017. Um, through the Diversity Advisory Council, we, um, we tackle, we see um, all of these issues and make recommendations to the board, such as uh, workforce development, uh, curriculum, um, things like that. So I have some knowledge, background knowledge there. Um, my career itself has been uh, in Indian gaming uh, for the m almost 15 years, where I uh, have extensive uh, board governance. I uh, oversaw a multi-million dollar budget. Um, my current role is in healthcare transformation, and I uh, we work to build partnerships. Um, I'm out in the community. I've given back to this community that has supported me uh, and my family so well over the years, and I'm just really excited uh, for this next endeavor and to represent those that are underrepresented here in our community and, and the, um, the diverse uh, people that are continuing to come here to Spokane um, and really just build up this community. Thank you. Thank you. Now for position one, we will start with Nikki Lockwood. Well, thank you for hosting us today uh, to talk about this important elected position. The decision the school boards make impacts student success and build equity and therefore making the whole community stronger if intentionally addressing inequity and intentionally creating inclusion. Public school is instrumental to my success. I grew up in Spokane, attended pu local public school, was the first in my Mexican-American family to attend and graduate from a four-year college and worked as a dietitian at a local hospital before having kids. I am a parent of two daughters. One is a junior and one just graduated and she's in college now. So one down, one to go. 
I have volunteered regularly in many capacities throughout my daughter's school years, including serving as the board president for the Montessori uh, parent group at Jefferson Elementary, more recently serving on three district-wide committees uh, over the past six years. Additionally, I have served on four boards in this community, so I have extensive board governance experience, and I currently work as the organizer for a community coalition that has worked to end the school-to-prison pipeline with our school district. I want to share an example of my commitment to student success. In 2016, after the elections, a local firefighter shared that he had just found out that his daughter had been bullied for over a month. She is Latina, and, had, and the boys in the class were saying that they wished they could uh, vote for a certain candidate so that uh, people like her wouldn't be here, and similar awful things. For a month, she endured this, and it ended with physical violence. Some of it was in front of her teacher, who thought it was political conversation and not bullying. With a little asking, we found some more stories that were similar, uh, using the racist rhetoric that we'd heard from the elections. One counselor shared that a group of immigrant mothers came to her office, sobbing, terrified for their future. I volunteered to be the lead organizer to ask our school district to do what so many other school districts around our state and nation had done, to put out a public statement for our community to say that public school is a safe and welcoming place for all students where all students can learn and that we would enforce our harassment, intimidation, and bullying policies. This wasn't about partisan politics. We didn't talk about that. We were talking about making sure our students felt safe. I was able to get many community partners, the Spokane Education Association, the Human Rights Coalition, the NAACP, Spokane Alliance, and Odyssey Youth Movement, and other parents and community members. A small group of us worked with the school board to craft a statement, and they unanimously approved it. It's, an, it's amazing what people can do when they work together for student success. This is an example of my work to unify the community to help families feel welcomed in our school district. I look forward to sharing more of my vision for, to create more equitable and inclusive school district when families have a where, fam where more families have a sense of belonging and more students succeed. Thank you. And also for position one, Katie Trelor. Good morning, my name is Katie Trelor and I'm running for position one for Spokane Public Schools School Board. Um, many people don't know, but school board is a six year volunteer position. So you don't get into this unless you are passionate for our children. But I bring more than passion, I bring experience. I bring the experience of an educator. I taught elementary school for eight years. Um, I bring the experience of a mother. I have two young boys, grades uh, first grade and third grade, that are in Spokane Public Schools right now. And I bring the experience of a nonprofit coordinator. I was instrumental in the development and implementation of the nonprofit Bite to Go, which feeds hungry kids over the weekend. Um, Bite to Go is now in every elementary, middle school, and high school in Spokane Public Schools and feeds over 3,500 students every weekend. Um, I promise as a school board member to bring common sense and the voice of a nonpartisan candidate if elected to the pos this position. Thank you. Great. The moderators will take turns asking three predetermined questions. Each candidate has one minute to answer each question as a reminder, Nicole will be our timekeeper. She will raise the yellow card when you have 30 seconds left, and she will blow her whistle when your time <laughs> is up. <laughs> For the audience members, uh, we have question if you have questions, you have until 10.45 a.m. to submit your questions at the question table, which is, wait, can you guys wait? Yep, right over there. <laughs> 
Okay, so for our first question, we will start with position one. Katie Trelor and following Nikki Lockwood. Katie Trelor, how would you vote on arming Spokane Public School Resource Officers? Why would you vote that way? And what evidence do you base your decision on? I do not support arming any district employed resource officer or any district employee. I do support developing a relationship with Spokane Police Department. So if we look at districts across our state, we are one of the only districts in our state that does not have some sort of relationship with our police department. I think that by creating a contract with our, our police department, we are providing um, an opportunity for police officers to live in maybe specific zones in our school district. And these police officers would, 99% of their time would be spent creating relationships with our students, building the bridge between at-risk students and sensitive students. But that 1% of the time is creating an extra layer of security um, and um, for our students when Spokane Police, or excuse me, Spokane Public Schools has to call the police department. <laughs> Keep your eye on that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't support having any armed uh, people in our school district, uh, whether there are our employees or not. Um, there is no evidence to show that having um, school policing is a good investment in safety. There's there's no guarantee they're going to be there in time, and they have studied this. That there's a congressional report showing that um, there's no guarantee that this improves safety. But there are reports, there's extensive reporting that when we invest in policing, we are divesting in our students because students of color, students with special needs, students in poverty are more likely to be arrested, more likely to be involved in the criminal justice system. So I wanna invest in student success, so I, I don't support that. There are a lot of evidence-based public health approach practices to safety that I absolutely think we should invest in to continue our investment in student success. Thank you. Position two, Jenny Slagle, following Kelly McFarlane. Uh, thank you. Uh, I also do not support uh, armed um, personnel, whether it is uh, Spokane Police Department or um, school resource officers uh, in the schools. Um, again, uh, there is no evidence that uh, indicates that they actually make schools safer. Um, they, uh, I believe that they would, it would only damage relationships that we're trying to build with students of color and uh, special needs uh, kids, um, where it would lead them to uh, feel uh, more unsafe and unsupported. Thank you. I do support arming resource officers. Uh, for the simple fact that we need to focus on our security and we need to be real about what is happening in society. It would be nice to just, you know, pretend that it's not going on, but when we do that, we leave our children vulnerable. Anyone that has the mental capacity to bring a gun to a school does not care if it is a gun-free zone. I think we need to have protection for our children. Um, so I support a true one-entry system I support arming resource officers. I support resource officers being at the school so they have a relationship with the student. And one evidence base is our safe havens report that just came out that said they cannot guarantee our district safety 
if we do not start arming our resource officers. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm really excited to answer this question because <laughs> when I uh, joined this race and realized this was gonna be a big issue, I had to kind of check my initial bias. My initial bias is, of course not, that's a terrible idea, let's not arm the CROs. So I, I put that bias away um, because I, I've spent a lot of time having to do um, fact-checking for a part of my job. And so years ago I learned that like sometimes your initial thoughts aren't accurate. So I put that away and I went and did research. And what I found is that in 2016, 43% of students in the U.S. were in a school that had armed resource officers. 90% of school shootings happened at a school with an armed resource officer. That does not indicate that it improves the risk of violence for our students. It actually indicates that it might make it worse. But what is effective is staffing levels, staffing of teachers, mental health counselors, and all of those things. What the district needs to recognize and parents need to recognize is one armed CRO is the same as five teachers, three mental health counselors. So we have more effective ways that we can address and prevent violent acts in our schools than arming CROs. Now we need more whistleblowers. <clears throat> Thank you, Nicole. This, uh, I'm probably um, somewhat gonna be, I'll try to be somewhat nuanced. Uh, the last seven months when I worked for Spokane Public Schools, I was the interim safety and security director. I was asked to step into that position as an administrative head um, and oversee a great group of men and women um, who help build the relationships that are in the schools as our current CROs do. Uh, we happen to have one even sitting in the audience right now uh, with us, uh, Ed Richardson. I'm not for arming our CROs. I am for increasing our MOU, our uh, Memo of Understanding with Spokane Police Department, to make sure that we have much more clearly defined roles within the district. And I do question my candidates, uh, my opponents here, her uh, number of one CRO equals three or four or five educators, um, I don't think the numbers really pan out in the budget to that. Thank you, Nicole. So our next question is, and our it's, it's going to be addressed to position two first. It's going to be Kelly, then Jenny. And um, remember, because we'll announce the person's name when it's their turn to go. So be, remember, listen for your name. So the first question, is, the next question is, what would be your plan to hire and retain more teachers and staff of color in Spokane Public Schools? Kelly. Okay, um, hello. <laughs> okay, my, um, my plan would be to, to do pretty much the same thing um, that the rest of the country is doing. We need to open up the positions to anyone, and by federal law, you are not allowed to discriminate. Now, I know that that still goes on, but I would like to just, I, I think I would be open to, to treating any employee that applies regardless of, of their uh, race, creed, color, ethnicity, for what they can do for our school, for their experience. And uh, that's what I'd like to do, is just keep, keep our district open to all. Thank you. Jenny? Uh, thank you. Uh, this uh, is definitely something that the Diversity Advisory Council has worked with uh, district staff, with the HR department. We question, continually question, why don't we have more representation uh, 
teachers of color teaching our kids who are the student body is becoming more diversified. Um, their answer was um, that they, there are laws and um, rules in place that they, they can't get around. Um, but we, we do need to um, do things better. We need to support and uh, support our teachers of color that are coming up and we need to grow our own here in our um, school system or in our community so that we uh, can um, support our teachers of color and that they are more successful and um, thereby our student body will be successful. Thank you, Jenny. Next is Aaron. Aaron. Position four. All right. Um, well, one of the things we need to do is maybe start being more proactive. I know that Spokane Schools has been working really hard on trying to improve the representation among staffing um, of minority groups, uh, make it a more diverse staff to represent our community better, but they just haven't yet been succeeding. And some of that is those barriers exist outside of the school system, they exist in life. And so perhaps we need to take a more proactive approach to help some of the people in our community that want to aspire to those jobs overcome the barriers to certification and hiring process. Thank you. Next, Aaron, oh, Kevin. Thank you. I, uh, this is a regional issue. It's not just a Spokane Public Schools issue. Um, the state average for um, teachers of color is 88%. Spokane Public Schools is at 93%. Central Valley's at night, or as, or 88% are, are white, 12% are um, educators of color. Spokane Public Schools has 7% of our educators are of color. Central Valley, 2%. Mead, 5%. We're working, we're working well towards that end, but uh, it's a regional issue that we need to work on with all of our districts and our colleges to recruit more heavily. Thank you. Next position one be Nikki Lockwood. Oh, I think we have one now. We're good down here. Um, I will tell you, I grew up and, and went to school here. The first teacher that looked like me was when I was in 11th grade and taking Spanish. So most of you all had teachers that looked like you a lot sooner than that if you're not a person of color. So it takes intention. We, we have to intentionally work on this. If we put equity in our next round of strategic planning, then we can actually put the resources towards making a change. Also, I would show we need to show a commitment to racial equity. When we have a student who is choked by a, a black student who is choked by a CRO and we have not changed our policies and practices for our CROs, then we are not showing the community that we are welcoming and safe. Um, so there are some best practices around um, racial equity that we have to intentionally do and uh, it's a commitment and it's, it takes intention and by being the, a school board member of color we are showing and if this community elects me then we're showing that um, we do care about the diversity and want it represented on our in our leadership. Spokane Public Schools needs to work hard to ensure that our workforce um, represents our student population and right now we have 90% Caucasian, 73% female teachers. Um, but one thing that we have to look at is the pathways into education. And I was talking to a couple of um, students that were thinking about going into education and they said, you know, first of all, you pay for four years of education and then you have to do a year of free student teaching. 
And that is going to inhibit a lot of people um, from coming into this profession. So we need to look at ways um, to work with our colleges and our community and address this issue. Thank you for that. So now we go to question number three and the order of responses. We're going to start with position four. First, Kevin and then Erin. So the question is, how would you address the disciplinary gap in Spokane Public Schools between students of color and white students? Obviously, this question is not limited to Spokane Public Schools. This is a nationwide issue. I don't have an easy answer. I don't have something I can um, say to you in 60 seconds that um, is, is going to answer the difficult question that this is. I think that the current group that we have with the superintendent's work group working towards this issue the past several years has been instrumental in helping us move forward, helping us identify those issues, and helping us start to come up with solutions. But it begins with measurement, fidelity in the measurement of the discipline and making sure then find out the reasons, the root causes, and work from there. And um, I think we're well on our way of starting to do that. It has a long way to go to trickle all the way down to classrooms, I realize, but uh, I think we're on our way. Um, yeah, I, th I think that, you know, versus identifying it, if we're gonna make any meaningful solutions, um, we probably need to include a lot more voices of color into the entire process um, of, again, identifying what are the barriers, why are certain schools, or is it a district-wide problem? Um, our schools disproportionately uh, cluster our students of color, so I would be interested to see is that is this an occurring specifically at certain schools, or is it you know again district wide? Um, but yeah, people of color need to be a part of the process of figuring out what the the problems are to coming up with solutions to address those. So next we will go to position one first, Katie, and then Nikki. Um, our district is working hard to develop and maintain respect, responsibility, and safety. We need to help our students behave in ways that contribute to academic and um, academic achievement and success. Um, as a teacher, I understand the importance of differentiating, and we do that in academics, so we need to do that in our discipline policies as well. Um, there's a link between racial identity and social cultural experiences and their relation to school behaviors. We need to look at those and we need to make sure that our teachers, the, um, that ha not just our teachers but our administrators and our counselors, our mental health therapists, that they all understand the experiences that our children are coming to school with and um, how those relate to their behaviors. And I think when we start looking at that, then we can start looking at a discipline policy that um, really differentiates for all our students. And then we will now go to position two, Jenny first and then Kelly. Oh, oh I'm sorry, me. Nikki. <laughs> Um, regarding discipline, I have been a leader, a parent leader, and now for the ACLU of Washington of the Every Student Council Alliance. We're the coalition that came to the district to said you need to work on your disproportionate um, discipline practices for students of color and students with disabilities. That's my daughter. She fits in both of those categories, and she was suspended inappropriately. 
So I will say that um, we have looked at data for the last three years, and that has been very helpful. But we as a community had to ask for that. And we have gotten some Im important changes started. Um, we need to continue to address bias, especially when most of our um, uh, teachers are white. Um, they have taken on the responsibility of doing cultural uh, responsiveness training, and that needs to continue. We also need to hold our administrators and teachers accountable to their practices, and we're doing that through case studies. Um, and then as a school board leader, you know, my job is to work on policy that creates equity. And so that is something that I look, I look forward to doing. And so now position to Jenny first and then Kelly. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I believe that with a, an equity policy that we can look through um, these types of issues um, using it as a, uh, a lens to uh, address these problems. Um, I think it really starts with uh, relationships. Um, the cultural responsive training isn't uh, right now required in the district. I think it needs to be. We need to deepen that work so that uh, any other programs that follow, such as the MTSS, which now includes um, social emotional learning, um, so that, that those types of programs are more effective. Um, and also, uh, as we're looking at uh, revising our disciplinary policy, we utilize that uh, equity uh, work and the equity policy as um, a central focus uh, around building relationships. Getting stuck in the table. Okay. Um, I think that we've got um, a lot of things in our district that we need to work on. And as a school board member, I can promise you that I am going to work towards equality. I would like to think of students as students. I would like to look at every case individually. And that is how I would deal with this. I would look at what's actually happening in our, in our schools, in our classroom and deal with it on an individual basis. That's, there you go. <laughs> okay, thank you. So those are the three questions that we had from um, the moderators. So now we're gonna open up questions from the audience. So um, just remember that you have about four more minutes if you have a question you wanna ask them. Um, so we'll start that process now. We'll do that till 11 o'clock. So our first question is, this is a point blank period, just a number, no explanation, anything. They just want to know a number and that is all. So the first person we will talk to is Nikki Lockwood and then Katie. So Nikki, how many school board meetings have you attended in the past year? No explanation, just a number. Doing some math in my head, there's two a month. Um, times 12, and I go to almost every single one. So I'm just going to say uh, somewhere between 18 and 20. Thank you, Nikki. Katie, same question. I've been to five or six. Thank you, Katie. Kelly? Four. Ginny? I believe six. Erin? I've attended five, and I've watched about seven or eight on online. They have their or not watch, okay, read Kevin? the minutes on their, on their uh, website. Kevin? I'll say 22. I haven't missed one. 
Now we'll go with uh, question two from the audience. We're going to start with position one, Jenny, following Kelly. Position two, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Given all that the school district has done to address racial disparities in school discipline and arrests, why do you believe disparities exist? And what does, it, what does the district need to do that it's not currently doing? I believe that they exist because of personal biases. Um, the disparities, uh, the discipline practices aren't equally um, adhered to. Um, you have to, you can't, you can't address it individually. It has to be as a community. Um, they need to be working with the communities of color to address it and figure out uh, why this is, why it happens more disproportionately with uh, African American and Native American students. And then the second part of it, I'm sorry, was. Let's see, the, I think you answered that. Um, okay. And what does the district need to do that it's not currently doing? Oh, they need to work with the uh, communities that are being affected. So now we're gonna go to Kelly. Will you please repeat the question? Yes. Given all that the school district has done to address racial disparities in school discipline and arrests, why do you believe disparities exist? And what does the district need to do that is not currently doing? Okay. Um, being in oh, probably at least 12 of our schools in the last year, I can tell you a lot of it just has to do with the, with the student base. Um, if it's if it's a higher number of of children with of a, div, uh, a diverse background, you're going to have a higher number of disciplines. If it's if it's not, you're not. Um, as far as you know, if it's if we don't have a large diverse base at one of the schools, you're not going to have a large diverse discipline base. So, um, but I, I really think we need to look at the kids as individuals. We need to look at them as students, and we need to treat them as such. So we're position four, Kevin, and then Aaron. Um, I think first of all, you have to define what the problem is, right? And I think that in your first sentence of that question, um, we're working towards that goal. And it's a complex question. Um, I, it's not alone once again. It's a societal question, obviously, that we're running across in deep-seated uh, beliefs uh, that go to the core to our community and we're having those conversations and we're having the difficult conversations but it comes to the relationship of each and every student and each and every family and meeting them where they're at and um, I think that is going to be our key to keep talking keep communicating and uh, moving forward um, albeit glacially at times I know um, okay so this these questions always strike me in and a little home, I always have to do a little soul searching because I'm not a person of color. So when it comes to my perspective on it, it's very outside. But I've done a lot to try and um, 
figure out that a little better. And it, it seems to me a lot of it is a chicken or an egg thing. Um, you have communities of color disproportionately faced with trauma, poverty, and other things that prevent them from excelling, and that prevents them from getting into leadership roles. And if they were in those leadership roles at higher numbers, I think we would actually be making progress on addressing the disparity with discipline. So it, it, we can either keep the cycle going or we can take proactive steps to address the fact that we need more leaders from these communities participating not just as teachers, but in leadership roles across the district. Position one, Katie, and then Nikki. Um, I think Erin spoke really well to this question. My first year of teaching, I had 34 fourth graders, and 80% of them came from non-English speaking homes. So when you have a communication barrier like that, it's very hard to get families involved. I think, um, like Aaron said, we really need to provide our families with the vision and the voice and the resources to become um, instrumental in driving um, policy and curriculum in our schools. I think programs like The Zone, um, the Medical Center at Rogers, and the new um, community, the Shaw, New Tech, um, and the library are great starts to getting our community involved in the educational process. I just talked to a legal advocate from the community who shared about an uh, issue um, at Ferris. There were three students, one, one student of color, and they got into an argument with a citizen off campus. The, the citizen, the adult, and they both exchanged bad words. You know, everybody said stuff, but um, it resulted in one student getting suspended for 77 days, and there was no physical violence involved. Guess which student got suspended for 77 days? That just got reversed. So there was some implicit bias there that, you know, we need to continue to question that. And because they had the legal advocate, they were able to do that. We're talking about structural racism. It takes intention and it takes policy change and it takes leadership that really acknowledges that and can say the word racism and wants to work on it. And I have shown that commitment, so I will do that. It also takes relationships with communities of color and bringing people in that aren't normally uh, invited in, and I have done that as a community organizer too, so I will keep working on it. Thank you. And the third question we have here is, the audience wants to know, a lot of special education parents feel special education is often ignored and isn't a priority in most school systems. What is your plan to make sure special education is a priority in policy and not overlooked? So we will start with Kevin and then go to Erin. We're talking difficult questions with one minute answers and there aren't any. Um, special education, obviously, uh, Spokane has more, a higher population of special needs students than any of our surrounding districts and above the state average. Um, I think that the first of all is putting together the parents of special needs students and being able to funnel and answer all of their questions um, quickly and appropriately and building the relationships and the trust that take time to uh, fulfill those needs. There's a lot of state and federal guidelines that have to be followed when you're meeting special needs students and uh, I would definitely make it a priority to continue um, uh, to support all of those families in needs. 
And uh, I'll leave it at that in my short time. Um, well, special ed is always a bit challenging because um, special education d requires a lot of financial investment. Um, and so I think a lot of times it gets dismissed. We've had um, federal, federal programs that haven't been fully funded for special education needs, um, state programs, which I know they're working very hard to increase it. But again, our district faces a, a disproportionately high number of um, children who have special needs. And I'm very proud of that. Part of what Spokane, the reason Spokane has that is because we have such a core central medical facilities to provide the services that those students need outside their health care. Um, so we have a huge community of people who need those um, services, and we as a community have to decide when the state, when the federal government isn't providing those, the funding, are we going to step up? Are we going to take care of our own? And I think that, that our voters have shown over and over again that they will. So we need to just prioritize this issue. Thank you. We will now go to first Nikki and then Katie. A lot of special education parents feel like special ed is often ignored and isn't a priority. What is your plan to make sure special ed is a priority in policy and not overlooked? Well, this has been our family's experience. I have two different daughters, one with autism and one you know, general ed, sparkly academic child. They're both really smart, but I have felt that we've lived in two different worlds. One child, I felt like, I had to know what, what to ask for before she got it. I had to be an expert. I had to um, advocate for her way more. I felt like she didn't matter sometimes. I felt with some people, she had by and large amazing educators, but the system, I felt like she didn't matter and that there weren't high expectations for her. And so that has been a missing voice on the school board. There has not been a school board member for the seven years that I've been going to school board. And so I want to be there. I want to make sure we ask the questions and hold our district accountable um, to the policies and practices and the federal policies, the state policies around that because our students are under or overrepresented in suspensions, isolation, in use of restraint, and school policing. I think, first of all, we have to look for funding. Um, we need to get the state, the legislature, to fully fund special education. And then we need to talk to our special ed teachers. I've been out there talking to lots of, um, many special ed teachers, and we need to make sure that we are supporting them with discipline policies, um, best practices and curriculum, and making sure that we're retaining our special ed teachers. You know, these, um, the teachers that I've spoken with, talk about how they're seeing behaviors and challenges that they've never seen before. And we're going to lose these amazing educators if we don't support them um, with their own uh, self, just making sure that they're going home feeling good about themselves and um, that they want to come back to school the next day. We'll go to position two, Jenny first and then Kelly. Can you read the question again, please? A lot of special ed parents feel special education is often ignored and isn't a priority. What is your plan to make sure special ed is a priority in policy and not overlooked? Uh, funding, I think uh, definitely we have to keep advocating to uh, so that our funding sources aren't affecting our special education uh, programs and uh, the oversized class classrooms right now. Um, I believe are having an effect on our special ed um, 
the students. Um, they, we need to go back to the, uh, the student-teacher ratio that will uh, give them more uh, support. Uh, the work that we're doing in uh, health system transformation is around supporting uh, community uh, members of all um, types, and I think um, the social uh, determinants of health, we need to also publicly work uh, education and the health system to provide more support there. Okay, uh, to start off with, I can tell you that I am a student of special ed. ADHD, hyperactivity, plus learning disabilities in both English and math that were not caught till my third grade year. There was a time when they didn't think I would be able to graduate from high school. Not only did I graduate from high school, I graduated from college, and then I got a master's degree from the prestigious Norwich University. We can help these kids. We need to have fully staffed schools to be able to have the teachers and staff we need to teach them. That, we got to figure out the budget. So, go. Thank you. So another question from the audience. We're going to have two more, so my question, and then one last one. What is your knowledge of the school to prison pipeline? What step would you take to dispute it? So we're going to start with position. Oh, disrupted. Sorry. <laughs> disrupted. <laughs> Like what? So we will start with position four, and we'll start with Aaron. Can you repeat that one more time? What is your knowledge of the school to prison pipeline? What steps would you take to disrupt it? Um, well, actually, okay. So as a medical professional, I've worked at St. Luke's uh, for many, many years, and over the years, we started uh, learning about. Uh, things like trauma-informed practices. So when you're working with patients to help them feel at ease in a period of time of their life that's very, very challenging, being in a hospital, going through an illness, um, that we need to understand their experience. If they have had a, a, a history of assault, they might not want us to come in contact with them, or they might want us to take extra steps to inform them, like, I need to check your wound now. I'm going to remove this, make sure that they're informed. So we need to start doing the same thing when it comes to our students. It's a movement that uh, I know the district started considering um, almost a decade ago. Um, but students experience trauma are at the highest risk of ending up in jail and that includes their parents going to jail a parent with an illness having lost a parent going moving uh, excessive amounts of time in a young age these are things that create um, challenges for them and we can address it in our school system thank you kevin i think that um, the concept of prison to school pipeline you know it has um, Obviously, once again, we're looking at a national conversation regarding that. As it, you know, applies to Spokane Public School, um, it really, uh, it all has the same basis, and that really frequently is um, in the uh, uh, trauma that is happening at homes, understanding the whole child, understanding where their circumstances are, and I would hope that what we can do in the future is at each and every case of discipline necessary, that we can look at the whole child, look at their individual case and circumstances before moving on and help. Thank you, Kevin. So position one, we'll start with Nikki. So in the 2015-2016 school year, um, our school district arrested over 800 students. We don't have good data on, on disaggregated 
for who, who was impacted by that. We also have a discipline rate, suspension rate of um, twice the state average. That same spring, our, the SCA, the Spokane Education Association, which represents teachers and other school staff, and I'm also endorsed by them, they, um, they shared that they didn't feel safe. So the use of discipline and student arrest did not improve the safety of our schools. We have tried that. We have tried the punitive way. We need to support classrooms, teachers, students in investing in student success, um, giving teachers the resources, that, the paraeducators that they need, and best practice training, de-escalation training. Um, it's a hard year with the decrease in staff um, you know, the students absorb that stress, and I'm hearing uh, a lot of family stories about issues. So I know, I know it's an important issue. Thank you, Nikki. Katie? And I think when a lot of us went to school, our schools were just about teaching, teaching math and reading and writing. But there has been a huge shift in the responsibility of education, and that includes um, educating the whole child. And that includes social-emotional learning, that includes um, feeding our hungry kids, making sure our kids have jackets and shoes. Um, and so when we're looking at the whole child, we have to look at how poverty is affecting our children, how hunger is affecting our children, um, and how trauma is affecting our children. So I recently spoke to a coalition of child therapists, and I think, um, and they wanna come in and they wanna help our, um, they're qualified and they've been to school, and they wanna come in and help our schools and our kids with these, um, that are facing these types of issues. So I think we need to look to our community to come in and fill some of the gaps that are left by our budget crisis. Thank you, Katie. Position two, we'll start with Kelly, then Jenny. Oh, could you please repeat the question? Yes. What is your knowledge of the school to prison pipeline? What steps would you take to dispute, disrupt it? Well. <laughs> okay, um, I think that, uh, well, again, I'm gonna agree with, with Kevin here, this is a, a big answer for a one minute, for one minute time. Um, so um, what I'd like to do is I'd really like to focus on education, preparing the kids for the next step so they don't feel lost and unable to actually get out and join society. I'd also like to bring in the parents and the communities more. I really think we need to gather around our schools. And I would also like to bring back respect, accountability, and responsibility for, for everyone so that they can know their path and succeed. We can't succeed for them. They have to do it, but they, everyone is capable of that success and breaking the cycle. And I think if we bring back these things, that that will certainly break some of the school to prison pipeline. Uh, my knowledge of the school to prison pipeline is that uh, it does exist and it's caused by socioeconomic, racial, uh, and poverty issues uh, in our system. Um, that's another reason why I uh, decided to run for school board. Um, we need to disrupt it, and the way that we disrupt it is by uh, putting in place a uh, equity and diversity po uh, policy. Um, that will carry into our disciplinary policies to make them better so that uh, kids aren't being uh, disproportionately suspended and expelled and arrested. So our next question that we have from the audience, 
Okay, we're gonna go with uh, position one, Nikki following Katie. The question is, how would you explain the racial disparity of students participating in the Open Doors re-engagement program and how would you address it? I think this goes back to um, some of the earlier questions that were asked about how do we um, have a sense of belonging for our students in school in terms of having staff of color and having equitable policies. You know, Open Doors is a, a resource that we have in this community for kids that have, I think, dropped out or, or, or just given up on our, our, our school system. Um, but we need more kids to succeed. So when we have more staff of color, when we have more culturally responsive teachers, when we have um, equitable policies, and we're not um, you know, penalizing students for being different. You know, my daughter has a different brain, and I've been so worried about her um, being punished for, for being different. And so um, I think the cultural change has started but we have more work to do, and I think being uh, a leader with an equity lens on the school board is something that I can bring to um, improve, improve that. I think the most important thing that our students need to understand is that we want them at, our, we want them at school. We want them to be part of our school community. And so whatever we can do to keep them at school we need to do. We need to provide them with a safe place to go. We need to provide them with basic necessities so that they know if they come to school, they are going to be fed and they're going to be loved. Um, and we need to make sure that our teachers are provided with the resources um, that they can help these kiddos out, but also maintain a culture of respect and responsibility in their classrooms. We're going to go with position two, Kelly, oh, okay. following Jenny. Could you repeat the question just one more time? Sure. How would you explain the racial disparity of students participating in the Open Doors re-engagement program, and how would you address it? Okay. Um, I, well, it kind of goes back to my last thing. I think that students need to understand that the help is there for them but they have to be responsible for their learning and they have to be responsible for their life to someone and we're not teaching them this. Um, I have taught ABE, GED classes and the students that come to these classes are a variety of diversities that have dropped out for one reason or another and when they finally realize that this is the life they want for themselves, they go back, they do it again and they succeed. I would like to cut it off before we get to that point. I want the students to succeed K through 12 so they know that they're capable of doing these things. And I think that applies to all students. Uh, let's see, I definitely agree that um, many of the answers that we gave around supporting students um, a lot, I, I mean, I come from um, communities that have been um, affected uh, more so. Um, and it's, it's not an individual problem. It's a community problem, and we need to address it that way. 
We're going to go to position four, Aaron, following Kevin. Um, I think that this, again, is a, a, a lot of the same issues that we've been dealing with throughout it, is that you, you're disproportionately affected by trauma uh, and poverty and uh, long histories of family trauma and poverty if you are a person of color. Um, we have a lot of refugees uh, that are in this community, and they definitely have experienced massive amounts of trauma. I've met children who watched their entire families be murdered in Vietnam and other parts of the world. So it's really, really important that we start being proactive in addressing those things so that we can stop the cycle um, and keep these students in that we have now so that we don't have the constant disparity. But life has thrown a disparity at us, you know, uh, we need to be proactive in addressing it. The question concerns Open Doors, correct? Yeah. Open Doors is a program <coughs> to help students in a non-traditional environment uh, achieve um, graduation and goals beyond. And I think it's a matter when it comes down to finding the right fit for students for that of communication. Um, it's gonna require the school counselors and mental health people to also reach out to those individual families and let them know this opportunity exists um, in our community. If you look at overall graduation rates, they've increased <coughs> uh, over the past 15 years tremendously. And I think we're, we're catching more of those students who would be going into open doors, but obviously those with um, uh, either special needs or uh, don't have the, the ways or means or, or communication channels or trust of relationships. It, it's individuals. Um, this, when you're talking to those students, you're definitely talking students that need the individual support and needed to be reached out individually. This is going to be the last question. And uh, it's an important question. Death by gun is now the second leading cause of death for Americans under 18 years old after car accidents. What evidence-based practices can school districts adopt to prevent gun deaths at our, of our students? So what evidence-based practices can school districts adopt to prevent gun death of our students? And we will start with um, Nikki, and we'll just go down this way. Thank you. Those are some tragic uh, statistics. Uh, I am endorsed by the Alliance for Gun Responsibility, which is a nonpartisan state group. Um, when we talk about gun deaths, we're talking about suicide and, um, you know, additionally other things. Our rate of suicide in Spokane is for teens or attempted suicide has has tragically gone up, you know, every year for the last few years. It's really sad. So the evidence-based public health approach that we can do at school, which includes social emotional learning, which includes positive school climate, which includes de-escalation of incidents, also improves the chances of um, our students, you know, not meeting with those tragic ends because um, also, when a student is more likely to commit suicide, those are sometimes the students that also um, want to take other people with them. And so um, those public health and evidence-based approach is what I support. 
I think this is something our district is working on is the social emotional learning and the culture and climate in our schools. Um, we need to provide social emotional learning and that's counselors, mental health therapists and nurses. Our state is not funding those services fully and it's being left for our local, our, um, local levies and districts. And so we really need to look for funding so that we can provide these services for the social emotional well-being of our students and our teachers um, and all staff in our schools. So I think if we're going to, when we look at reducing gun violence, we have to look at how we are, um, what services we're providing for our students so that they, with their social emotional learning. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I, I am also uh, endorsed by the uh, Washington uh, Gun Safety uh, Alliance of Responsibility. Sorry if I messed that up. <laughs> um, but I also agree that it, it will take uh, working with uh, our um, public health and um, put in those types of policies in place. Um, I think we, we should be focusing on the, the students' mental health. Um, one of the practices that I would uh, be in favor of is putting in um, to help um, support the social emotional learning, but maybe a, a mental health first aid type of curriculum in the schools. Can I get a clarification? Are we, since this is the school board, are we talking about gun violence in school or are we talking about gun violence away from school? It could be either or, are we talking about students? Okay, just students, students in general, whether in general. they're on campus or so not. So death by gun is now the second leading cause okay. of death for Americans under 18 years old okay. after car accidents. What evidence-based practices can school districts adopt to prevent gun deaths of our students? Okay, um, so to prevent a massacre, as I talked about earlier, I, I am in favor of arming resource officers and having a true one entry system to prevent this from even getting to our schools. If we are talking about students and gun safety off of our campus, I am in favor of fully supporting our schools staffing. Um, and that includes the counselors, that includes the nurses, that includes all the support staff that goes along with staffing a school. With that, it is in cases like suicide, there are resources that we can reach out to the parents in the community to try to get them help before they take their life. Because any, any student that takes their life is sad regardless of which way they do it. Um, so I'm, I'm in favor of, of stopping it before it starts. Um, so gun violence uh, outside of the school or, and, and deaths outside of the school is actually a higher risk for students than inside the school, so that's really important. So death by suicide, death by um, homicide outside of the school. The way we can help to change the culture of our community uh, is by making sure that we have the appropriate mental health and a culture of our school district to actually speak up when they are concerned. Uh, not because they think the student will be penalized, you know, the, but that we, we have 
when we see something, we say something, and we try to figure out if there's a risk for, for students. Beyond that, um, I actually think it would be smart to, to teach students what to do if they find a weapon in the community. Just recently, we had students who did know what to do, who found a weapon in our community, knew to leave it there to call for help, and, and those kinds of things. So I think that's smart, and that could prevent accidental um, injuries by, by gun. Um, and lastly, I, I am proud to have the uh, endorsement of the Alliance for Gun Responsibility as well. Well, statistics are going to bear out <coughs> that the violence for our children, I mean, that's a horrible statistic. Um, uh, number two is going to be suicide. It's going to be, they're going to have the access to the weapons to be able to do it for, their, for the youth. Um, in my 16 years, well, in my last six years um, in the administrative role, we had over 14 suicides of our students. And uh, some of those um, were by firearms. Um, you know, it's reaching out, it's relationships, it's uh, giving us the funding, the budgets necessary for closer to one on one versus one on 150 students so they can reach out and find those trouble uh, students, those who may be suffering, um, and giving them the resources and the knowledge. And um, mental health is huge. It's a huge issue. I, I foresee it as the biggest issue we're going to have moving forward in this district. Thank you for those answers. Um, we now come to the end, and I'm going to request that each candidate make a closing statement. And uh, you will each have two minutes to make your closing statement, and we will go with the order of responses. Position one, we'll start with Nikki and then go to take Katie, and then we'll take it from there. Wait for your name to be called, please. As your next school board member, I will work to make sure every child is set up for success, regardless of circumstances. Through my advocacy work, I have successfully engaged students and families who are often left behind. I want to tell you about Mavis who called two years ago, very worried because her daughter was special needs, student of color, living in a lower socioeconomic area, exactly the, the, the student that gets suspended, which she had in grade school. Um, her, her special education plan wasn't being followed, and she was failing middle school. Mavis and her daughter had moved away for a few years to live in another state. That's where they got her learning disability diagnosed, and her special education plan started. They are not, so, so I listened and validated her concerns, and she shared how important it was just to feel heard and acknowledged. Mavis joined the Every Student Counts Alliance. I taught her advocacy skills and about her daughter's educational options. Mavis advocated for her daughter to be transferred to one of our excellent smaller choice programs. In less than a year, she went from a student who was failing to consistently learning A's and B's and excited about her future. The school she, tra she transferred to has high expectations for her daughter, and this made all the difference. We have great educators and great programs, and by investing more time and engaging in families and schools that are struggling the most, we can ensure more kids succeed. Through my advocacy and organizing work, I have shown a commitment to more students succeeding. I have built bridges for more, fam for more everyday families to engage in school policy, and I have built relationships to create accountability to the broader community. I will be a school board member for all of our families and the first person from the Latinx community to hold public office. To learn more, uh, visit NikkiForSchoolBoard.com and remember to vote. Gracias.
Last week, I was at Grant Park, and I was watching my two boys, grade, uh, first grade and third grade, was, um, compete in a cross-country meet with students across our district. And it was amazing to watch all of these children put their hearts and souls into doing their best work. And what I also saw were parents and grandparents, teachers and principals, cheering for our children. And I thought, this is the perfect metaphor of what our district needs to look like. It was our district coming together and putting our kids first. And unfortunately, right now we're a district divided. Our teachers are upset because of class size. Our librarians are upset because they want to be back in their libraries. Our custodians are upset because of the reduction in workload. Our union is upset because there's no teacher contract. And our voters are upset because we have shown fiscal irresponsibility with our budget. My experience as a teacher and my promise for common sense nonpartisan leadership will work hard to bring our district together, a united district that puts all 31,000 students first. And now we will go to position two, Kelly first and then Jenny. Oh, okay. All right, again, I'd like to thank you for having me here today. Um, as you have heard, I've, I've got some very uh, definite positions. Um, that is not necessarily the norm of any of the other candidates running for school board. But I am a teacher, and I am extremely passionate about education. If I wasn't, I wouldn't have resigned my position with District 81 in the spring to run for school board. I want to see a forward thought budget that is able to fully staff our schools so our education can succeed. I want to see a safety and security department that it deals with the practicality of what we're facing in our society. And I want to focus on education for our kids, all of our kids, every single one of them, that works for success, responsibility, accountability, um, and, and respect for all. I, I think that if we can get back to education, we are going to see it flow into our society, our society in positive ways. Thank you. Position four, Erin first and then Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm rushing ahead for some reason. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, I feel like I would be a great school board member because I represent um, uh, communities of color. I. I know what it feels like to have to navigate a public school system as a student of color and, and raise children in the school system here uh, almost 20 years here in Spokane. Uh, I, I work to uh, build relationships um, across many different communities. I, uh, I feel that that is uh, one of my strong suits. And uh, so I, I too am uh, endorsed by the Spokane Education Association and I'm really proud of that because it demonstrates that I, I can build those, those relationships and those important connections here uh, in Spokane. So I've spent my life um, discovering that I really like serving others. I, I enjoy being able to um, solve other people's problems, and it kind of took 30 years for me to realize that. When I, when I turned, uh, or about three years ago, I became uh, inspired to apply that to civic engagement uh, because I started to realize just how these policies and laws affect, and how they're implied by the people who run on things, 
uh, affect our everyday lives. And so um, I spent the last couple of years starting, uh, I was a founding board member for a statewide organization. I got a chance to work with legislators um, over in Olympia on uh, legislation that got sponsored, um, had a, an opportunity to discuss um, problem solve issues with that legislation with representatives from the Department of Revenue and the Employment Security Department. And then I was trying to find what the next stage of my volunteer and service was, and I was encouraged to run for this position, and I realized that I do actually have a unique amount of, uh, unique perspective and a unique amount of experience to offer the district. So if you would support me, I would really appreciate it, um, and make sure that you vote and tell other people in our community how important the school board is, and make sure they vote too. Thank you again for uh, hosting this event. Uh, it's um, always exciting uh, to be out. I'm gonna start with a story that happened exactly one week ago at uh, the Lower South Hill Block Party. And as with most of my candidates uh, at the time, we each manning a table, I had a young man come up to me, um, probably because my table had candy uh, on it to hand out. Uh, it also had apples too, by the way. And I started talking to him and engaging with him. He was a, a, a young man, a freshman at a high school within our district. He's a special needs student. And um, he, I asked him how it was going, brand new school, moving on forward. And he said it was going pretty well, but um, you know, it, it was a big school. And I, I said, Janet, well, how are, you know, how are they treating you? How's the school going? It's going well. He says, I think we need more security. He says, we only have one security officer. And I think, you know, I'd feel safer if we had more. I said, oh, he says, and more mental health counselors, more counselors. He says that, I think we need more. So I asked him what motivates him. And um, he's a tuba player. And he, uh, the tuba and music is what has kept him together. And I think that, uh, you know, he says, well, you know, that's been the, the glue that held him together. And then he, he added at the end, and um, I told Katie about this, he said, I wish they had bite to go more often because my dad has Alzheimer's and uh, my mom is disabled. And it really helps us. And um, so it comes down to relationships. The next day I was able to actually contact uh, the uh, assistant principal at the school and make sure that they knew about some of those connections that they didn't know about and they were they weren't aware of some of those things those um, so it does come down to relationships and I think that it's important moving forward to keep somebody experience in the district well I'd like to give a big thank you to all of all six of our candidates